0: everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. This is the Progressive Commentary Hour. Today, a very unusual topic, one that you may find impossible, implausible, but, as you will see, as you will hear, my guest, who is one of the most respected editor-in-chiefs of a major magazine, Covert Action Quarterly, and has been for 40 years, he believes that he has enough compelling evidence to challenge everything we were told about Jonestown massacre and Jim Jones. But this should be a very interesting program. You can agree or disagree with his points. But he has published this, and they're known for publishing outstanding, original investigative reporting. Now to my guest. We have something to share with you now that seems almost implausible. What if I told you that everything that you were told about what happened in Jonestown, in the Jonestown Massacre, which has entered American mythology as an episode of a bizarre religious cult with apocalyptic trappings resulting in a mass suicide of its followers. Remember all the photographs that we saw? All of them lined neatly, side by side. And, uh, and we were told that this is what happens when you have a person who is a complete sociopath, as he was, psychopath. It has also been used as an example among anti-cult advocates to discredit fringe, charismatic religious leaders. However, As you're going to find out in a moment, there's a completely new and different story. The story is completely different and related to U.S. intelligence cooperative and co-op operations. We're going to share the main story with you today, the cult founder, Jim Jones's connections with the CIA and U.S. interference in foreign (laughs) nations. What is the evidence? It will be laid out in detail. So, we have on the line now with us, Jeremy Kosmar, excuse me, let's do it over, sorry. Jeremy, do you pronounce your last name Kosmaroff?
1: Yeah, Kosmaroff is good.
0: All right, here we go. Sorry. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Nall. Do we have an unusual story for you? something that may seem implausible, impossible, not credible. But what if I told you that of all the people massacred in in Jonestown, an epic in history that is a part of American mythology is an episode of a bizarre religious cult with apocalyptic trappings resulting in a mass suicide of its followers and the suicide of its founder, Jim Jones. It has been used as an example among anti-cult advocates to discredit fringe or charismatic religious zealots and leaders. However, as my guess is going to lay out, what if virtually everything we were told was wrong? What if it was the CIA and other intelligence agencies' special op? Seems impossible? What if these people were murdered by lethal injection, and their bodies placed. What if James Jones, or Jim Jones, was able to facilitate his escape with the assistance of US intelligence agencies? Seems incredible. Let's now talk with the managing editor of Covert Action magazine, a 40-year-old publication that hosts a number of extraordinary writers and journalists, providing some of the most important original investigations on current events of any publication in American history. My guest, Jeremy Kosmaroff, is the author of four books on U.S. foreign policy, including Obama's Unending Wars. From, uh, from, th- from there, we go to The Russians Are Coming Again, and then... The magazine's website is covertactionmagazine.com. I've been reading Covert Action quarterly since its inception. I have a great deal of respect for it, and as people listening to this program know, I've referred to the mainstream media. If nothing else then to discredit it would make this a front-page story, I have yet to see anything, anywhere, discussing what they have uncovered. Nice to have you with us today, Jeremy.
1: Thank you. It's It's an honor to be with you.
0: Jeremy, what is the actual evidence that you can show that the victims were actually murdered and did not commit suicide, and including the children? And I've always wondered, how was it that when a person's taking, let's say, cyanide in their Kool-Aid, that they're not doing what a normal person who is committing suicide would do? They begin frothing at the mouth, their body goes through contortions, They're not neatly all laid out uh, as if they were just completely still, without any body movement when they died, and all side by side by side by side. When I saw this, I thought, that's impossible. But, you know, we had nothing to contradict it. Please take us now through this extraordinary story that, if true, and if you can document it, would virtually change our perception of the U.S. government, its foreign policy, the role of the CIA in covert operations, and false flag, uh, flat false flag operations. We need to hear this. The form is yours.
1: Thank you, yeah, and uh, there's so many layers here, so... But, yeah, on the first point, I mean, yeah, the, the official story was that these people drank the Kool-Aid. You know, they had been part of this religious cult. They were followers of Jim Jones, who had... Uh, you know, he started out in Indianapolis as a preacher, and uh, he was a very brilliant showman. And he did all these healings, and he also presented himself as somebody you know very progressive on race issues, who would bring together black and white. And when he moved to California, he was very active in the anti-Vietnam War movement, and he attracted a lot of idealistic types who had been in the counterculture movement and anti-Vietnam War movement, and others maybe who had you know uh, people who were troubled. Uh, who found uh, help or salvation in his church. And then he established this, you know, colony in Georgetown, uh, sorry, Jonestown in in Guyana. And, yeah, allegedly he had all led them to commit suicide, you know, to drink the Kool-Aid. That's a famous slogan, you know, don't drink the Kool-Aid. But if you look into it, yeah, as as you uh, touched on, it was impossible for them to have committed suicide. Uh, Even, you know, at the surface, you can see that there are problems with that uh, assessment because, yeah, the one is that the bodies were neatly lined up uh when allegedly they had drank you know they had drank cyanide poisoning that had been mixed in their uh, kool aid That cyanide poisoning, you know, causes violent contortions, uh, and you would see, like, the victims, yeah, they they couldn't have been, you know, neatly aligned like that. Uh, They would have been all over the place. And also, yeah, there was a forensics uh, investigation by Dr. Leslie Mutu, and he found, like, punctures in the back of their necks uh, and, you know, injections in places that somebody would have had to have physically injected them. You can't inject yourself in that point point of the back and they had all kinds of blisters and uh, bruises indicating they had been uh, pushed down and for, forcibly injected uh, with something. And then there were other eyewitness reports about a survivor, the machine guns. Uh, and you know, some of the body, I mean, the, the, there was no uh, autopsy. I think they they got rid of the body very quickly, so no proper uh, forensic investigation or complete could be carried out. Uh, and Some of the victims had clearly been uh, shot. And MUTU had concluded that, yeah, at least 700 of the victims uh, were victims of homicide. Uh, And a few had been killed with dum-dum bullets that were using the JFK assassination, like heavy-duty military uh, weaponry. Uh, So there was just, yes, incredibly strong evidence that this was a murder scene, not the scene of of the suicide. Uh, And then we can get into the background of Jones and, and what potential motive would have been.
0: Good. That's just a brief overview. Now take each part of that and go through it. For example, in any type of murder, murder, suicide, you're going to have autopsies. You're going to have clinical examination by coroners or pathologists. This is not a a random event. This is once in a world event you see this particular thing happening. So what was done by the local officials to determine cause of death and then did they find that there was these people were murdered by lethal injection in the back of the neck and if so why did that information never come out and then tell us about the american officials who were on the ground were involved in there at that time take us through each one of the pl- th- uh, comments that we can show can be deconstructed from the official narrative.
1: Okay. Well, firstly, yeah, I think the investigation was carried out, you know, in a haphazard way by local officials. Uh, somehow, yeah, the, the CRE radios show that somehow the CIA knew about this, uh, and that there were officials of the CIA and embassy there before the local uh, police, you know, came on the scene. Uh, Then, you know, a lot of the corpses were embalmed before an autopsy could be performed, obscuring their cause in manner of death. Other bodies were left out to rot and and decompose, making autopsy impossible. Uh, uh, So all that is, you know, it it wasn't carried out cleanly, the the investigation uh, would point to uh, cover up. Uh, Then there were, yeah, uh, American officials. Uh, allegation that Robert Pastor, the National Security Council's Director of Latin American Caribbean Affairs, uh, gave orders to remove bracelets from the victims, although he denied this. Allegedly, he was uh, working under his big new Brzezinski, uh, Carter's National Security Advisor. And yeah, there were Americans present. like Jones was caught on camera saying, you know, get Dwyer out of here. Dwyer was a reference to Jim Dwyer who were in the U.S. Embassy in Guyana, uh, but it was suspected and there's strong evidence that he was uh, in the CIA and that he was uh, probably part of the cover-up. I mean, the key backstory is the murder of Leo Ryan was a congressman from California who was and he was in the district of, of the People's Temple that Jones had set up in in San Francisco, and he had been given all these reports of you know nefarious uh, undertaking and criminal activity and that something had gone terribly wrong. So he made an investigative trip. but then he was murdered uh, and that was the key you know backstory to it uh, was his murder. Uh, so, and of course, that was covered up. There was one person fingered for the murder named Larry Layton, uh, but he, you know, seemed to have been drugged out uh, and may have been a scapegoat. There were eyewitness reports of like a military operation to assassinate Leo Ryan, and then again, there were kind of shadowy CIA figure like Wire uh, around who may have been part of the cover up.
0: Hmm. So we have all these people, but there's one piece of evidence that's unique, and that is that before any local officials knew there was a massacre, and in fact, supposedly several hours before the massacre, the C.A. knew that there was a massacre. How is that possible?
1: Exactly. And then there were body bag. Like uh, you know, Al Fletcher Proudy was uh, who had worked in a high level position with the CIA. Uh, you know, he had said that, and he had been a liaison with the Joint Chiefs. You know, he pointed out he thought this was an intelligent operation because they had air shipments of body bag. It seemed like it was planned. They had a planned way to remove the body very quickly. Uh And everything was kind of coordinated before the local authorities could get in and undertake a serious investigation um and that seemed to have been all planned, you know with the body bags and airlifts that uh, were already prepared to remove many of the bodies. Uh, so to him, that was a sign of a clear intelligence operation, combined with the fact that yeah, again, this, it, the radio, There was some radio communication that was uncovered, uh, that revealed the CIA knew about this. You know, in the middle of the night, because this happened late at night, uh, and like in three in the morning, the CIA, uh, the radio showed CIA uh, awareness, and the Guyana authorities only you know came in the next morning.
0: So again. How in the world could someone know something happened? It was like, if you remember on 9-11, there was a network reporter, I believe from possibly a British service, reporting on the collapse of the building number seven. Without the window, you could clearly see building seven still standing. And that was 20 or 22 minutes before building seven collapsed. And you have to wonder, well, that's a coincidence, or maybe she just didn't, made a mistake or someone was projecting. And But then you could also say, how would someone have known that a building was going to collapse when it was not a part of the original um, hit on the uh, Twin Towers? Now, is it possible? Can you think of any way that officials in the United States would have known that this was about to happen before it happened and report on it, Prior to it actually
1: happening, yeah I, I, and yeah, actually i was just uh, looking over some yeah, the CIA actually notified the uh, Defense Department of the mass suicide at 329 a.m and again, this is well before the Guyanese Defense Force uh, was called in and then arrived so yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, you know obviously they uh, were privy to what was going on there. And it it fuels suspicion. And, you know, especially when you examine Jones' connection and what was going on at Jonestown, you start to put two and two together.
0: When you look at all the people who we were never told were were present at the, the compound or in the immediate vicinity, give us their names and their positions. Let's be specific. And what rationale would they have for being? In the immediate vicinity, or at the vicinity, when the massacre occurred, why would they be there? Why was this never reported by the mainstream media? Because it was more than just a few people. These were all people associated with the deep state.
1: Correct. Yeah. Well, one was Richard Dwyer, because uh, Jones was heard on on video on uh, tape, you know, saying, "Get Dwyer out of here before something happens to him." Uh, So Jones obviously knew something bad was going to happen. They didn't want Dwyer, you know, to be uh, impacted uh, or, you know, possibly, you know, since these murders were going on, he didn't want him to be accidentally murdered. And this was Richard Dwyer, deputy chief of mission at the U.S. Embassy. Uh, who is strongly suspected of uh, being a CIA agent, who had worked in Egypt and Syria and Grenada later, where he helped prepare the U.S. invasion of the island nation. Uh, and yet, uh, Philip Agee had identified him as a CIA agent uh, years earlier. So... Um, uh you know, uh, yeah, so that, I mean, that's, I think, one, you know, key figure. Uh, and Dwyer had accompanied Leo Ryan, because Leo Ryan was a leading congressional opponent of the CIA, and he had supported the Ryan Hughes Amendment, which uh, provides significant congressional oversight of the CIA. And, like, the CIA had to report all their operations now that would have to be authorized by Congress. And, yeah, he was really probing into Jonestown and, and the secrets surrounding it. So he was... An enemy of the CIA and Dwyer, you know, they may have set up Jones' visit, uh, uh, sorry, a Ryan's visit for Ryan to be killed. Uh, to cover up, because what we know is that they're, uh, what they were doing at Jonestown was they were training mercenaries, uh, and this went back earlier to before many of the congregants started to come, but I mean, officially it was like, you know, they were developing agriculture, and it was like a kind of a commune where they lived and shared everything, and they were self-sufficient, growing food, Uh, and it was actually fairly productive, Uh, as far as, you know, what they were producing. Uh, But there was uh, kind of uh, separate wings of this area, you know, the pretty remote, isolated area, a beautiful area of the Guyanese countryside. And there were uh, parts of the uh, compound where they were training mercenaries, and that had gone back some years earlier when they had purchased the land. They were training mercenaries who were sent into Angola and they also, there's strong evidence that they were carrying out like medical experimentation and that, you know, the... Op- which I think a lot of listeners would know about was, uh, you know, this operation during the uh, early Cold War years, where they were trying to develop like uh, truth drugs, and they were testing drugs uh, unethically and illegally uh, to try and, uh, you know, learn how to manipulate people better. Uh, and the MKUltra was shut down during the Church Committee hearing uh, around 1975, and Leo Ryan had been one of those, I think, involved, uh, but. Uh, apparent, apparent, according to numerous experts uh, <coughs> or you know, knowledgeable people, it uh, was it, it officially shut down. But they are now they use religious cults. After 1975, they continued MK Ultra more secretly using religious cults uh, like the People's Temple cult. And there's evidence uh, because when they found all these drugs. Uh, at Jonestown after, you know, when when there were some investigations afterward, they found drugs that were hypnotic drugs that had been used as part of the MKUltra test and Thorazine, which is used to alter the behavior of mental patients. Uh, And there were 70 people on the medical staff. And some visitors had observed that people at Jonestown had looked to be kind of drugged out and like robots. Uh, So there's um, there's considerable evidence that they may have continued MK Ultra at Jonestown, and that's what the cover-up was all about. Something went wrong, or Ryan was about to expose everything, and so these massacres uh, took place.
0: You, in your article, you have an interesting story about who actually killed Ryan, and uh, and could you give us background on that person?
1: Um. What, was it a person, or from my memory, I'd have to, I, I think it was like a military, because, well, they fingered Larry Layton for killing him. There was only one person who was ever indicted and jailed for this, these killings, and that was uh, Larry Layton. He was the son of Lawrence Layton, who had been head of the chemical and biological, uh, the Army's chemical and biological warfare branch at the Dugway Proving Ground in Utah, and he had been involved in the Operation MK Ultra. And he had been involved in tests on like toxic agents and nerve gases. Uh, and his his family, he and his family gave a ton of money, and were were the, some of the major financiers of Jonestown. And the son was fingered for the murder of Leo Ryan, but it's believed uh, Larry, observers said, he looked drugged and like a like almost like a robot or an alien. And it's uh, suspected that he could have been a target of the MK Ultra, and maybe a program assassin. I mean, that's one thing, as far fetched as it sounds, and as much as it sounds like it's out of a science fiction uh, story or movie. Under the MK Ultra, they were actually trying to train uh, assassins and program people to do uh, mostly good, but mostly, I think, evil things. And Larry may have been, you know, and that's suspecting that if you fall like the Kennedy assassination uh, with Sirhan, Sirhan uh, is believed, uh, he may have been programmed uh, in this way. And Larry um, may very well have been programmed. Uh, but I'm not sure that he was the actual assassin. I think there's evidence of a military-style operation, and there were even photos uh, that looked like green berets, and there were use of dum-dum bullets uh, which shatter upon impact and had been used by the CIA in uh, anti-Castro operations and uh, were used in the JFK assassination. So I don't think Layton was the actual assassin. He may have been a a decoy or set up, uh, but he did go to jail for some years, although I don't think it was that long a sentence.
0: Tell us about the association of Jim Jones to the CIA and... All the ways that he was supported, where in the normal world a person could not rise to the level he had and be as accepted as he was without being exposed or discredited. And then how on the at the time of the massacre he was quickly gotten out of there and how they put up a, a feint where he went to one end of the island, yet... He was supposed to have gone to the other end of the island Were waiting for him at the other end of the island Were assassins, they were waiting to kill him then. But he was able to escape and uh, went up through, what was it, Venezuela? That uh, uh, one of the borders, he was able to have assistance that if he got there, they were to be rescued and taken out to another place. Tell us that part of the story, please
1: okay sure yeah and two elements yeah first on the background there is strong evidence uh uh, I think very convincing evidence that Jones was in the CIA. His background was that, yeah, he grew up in Indiana, a small town in Indiana. Uh, his father was repu- reputedly uh, sympathetic to the Ku Klux Klan, although he may have uh, invented that story to play up his kind of bona fides as this racial healer uh, in America. And yeah, he, he had a flair for, for preaching and uh, he was a showman and he had a very dynamic personality, so he built up a following uh, in in small-town Indiana and built a church uh, in, in Indianapolis. Now, he was spotted at a meeting. It's believed he may have... His ties to intelligence agencies may have gone back to around 1950, he was spotted at a meeting in Indianapolis, which was a very conservative city, and they were discussing communism at the meeting, and it's likely it could have been something like the John Birch Society uh, meeting, uh, or some organization like that, some uh, anti-communist organization, uh, and he actually presented himself as uh, a kind of promoting communalism as an antidote to communism. Uh, now then he moved to the Golden State uh, and he ultimately set up his church the uh, People's Temple in San Francisco but earlier, yeah, in the 60s there was a period when he was abroad uh, and he was in, well, he was in Cuba he was actually pictured with his wife with Fidel Castro and then he went to Brazil in the early 1960s uh, and around the time well, there was a coup the CIA supported the coup in 1964 in Brazil against Cal Goular, who was Kind of a forerunner to Lula, you know, it was more like a social democratic leader, but he was viewed as too left-wing by the CIA, uh, and he was uh, subject, uh, you know, targeted for regime change. And Jones, yeah, his cover was that he worked for some, uh, laundry, you know, a laundromat, or another financial company, but you know he was put up in a very wealthy district uh, in Brazil, and they said, yeah, he went, uh, you know, uh, they uh, neighbors said, you know, he would go with a suitcase every morning, he was dressed, you know very well-dressed, and he'd come back late at night, and he was actually um, living next to and socialized with a guy named Dan Mitrione, who he had known from back in Indiana, and Dan Mitrione was a known CIA agent who was involved in the police training program during the Cold War. He, uh, Mitrione had been a police uh, chief in Richmond, Indiana, and he headed the uh, USAID Office of Public Safety Police Training Program in Brazil. Uh, later in Uruguay, these are programs to train, like, the police and the secret police, to, uh, for you know, uh, the purposes of the Cold War, to monitor the communists and to develop blacklists uh, and to ultimately, you know, arrest uh, communists. And they were linked to torture. Those programs became very controversial and provoked public outrage because they were linked to torture. And Mitrione was killed in 1969 after in Uruguay uh, because he was labeled kind of public enemy number one because he was supporting Uruguayan police who were going after this left-wing group, the Tupamaro, and they had carried out torture. And Mitrione, seemingly, was promoting torture tactics and even brought beggars off the street in, in, in training uh courses and, like, tortured the beggars in front of uh, the the students and the recruits to the police. So Joan was very closely connected with Mitrione, including in Brazil, Um, and he was outed in the Brazilian media as a CIA agent, and he had to leave Brazil, and then he went to Guyana, and he developed ties with Forbes Burnham in Guyana, and the U.S. had military bases in Guyana, and they also had bauxite there. Uh, so there was you know, uh, minerals that interested the uh, U.S. government. And, um, yeah, so Jones, uh, well, there was a coup also there where the CIA was involved in the overthrow of Chetty Jagan, who was kind of like um, Gular. You know He was an, in, an Indian, because so Guyana had division between the Indian population and the Afro-Guyanese and the CIA actually fomented racial divisions and racial conflict and that made, you know that appears to have been Jones's uh, role was to foment these racial divisions as part of regime change operation directed against Chetty Jagan who is a leftist um, and whose wife had actually, I think, uh, may have been at one point the American Communist Party or was an American leftist. Uh, and so, yeah, he was overthrown, and Jones uh, was sparking racial riots and supporting the afro guyanese leader Forbes Burnham, who was also very corrupt. And then Burnham, uh, yeah, allowed—and that, that was the kind of background to the setting up of Jonestown, because Burnham was supporting Jonestown, you know, in the purchase of the land for a very cheap uh, price. Uh, so Jones had cultivated his connection with Ford Burnham in the 60s as part of these regime change efforts. And, yeah, there was, again, strong evidence— that he was uh, fomenting racial divisions uh, and riots as part of the regime change uh, operation. So, and then, like, when he escaped, yeah, what happened uh, in the massacre is that the body, like, they identified somebody resembling Jones who was killed, but then the, the uh, I think Jones had some tattoos, and so it, it wasn't actually Jones. It seemed to be like a lookalike, but it wasn't quite Jones. And then, like, the gun, it was supposed suicide, like, Jones supposedly shot himself at the end. But the gun was found, like, yards from him, uh, so it, it didn't add up to uh, a suicide or, or Jones being the person. And it's believed he may have escaped by boat, yeah, to Brazil where he had connections since he would lived there, or somewhere else, yeah, possibly Venezuela, or possibly he was assassinated after. But it, it's, it's, it's cloudy what happened to him.
0: But at least you have a, you have a trail from the massacre. To him, escaping, setting up a, a, uh, a type of escape, that he he obviously knew that the destination he was supposed to go to, and be taken out by boat to another location, could be a setup, in which case he went in the opposite direction, giving him time to make it to the border. Whether he got across that border or not, um, we don't know. We don't know what happened to him. But also, didn't Jones have a tattoo on his chest? And the body did not have a tattoo on his chest.
1: Yes, that's correct, exactly. So he he was not, uh, his body really was not identified at the scene. And yeah, we don't know uh, quite if he escaped or not. If he escaped successfully, the evidence would appear that he tried to escape, and he may have been successful and assumed another identity, or perhaps he was killed and didn't make it.
0: Well, we know that the CIA is known for uh, doing down and dirty, and so this sheds a whole new light. And you mentioned Sirhan Sirhan is being hypnotized. I interviewed Robert Blair Kaiser, who wrote Sirhan, or RFK Must Die. And it was the first major book with an outstanding investigative journalist who interviewed with a psychiatrist that he found and took in Sirhan, Sirhan. And under hypnosis, Sirhan, Sirhan would repeat, uh, pay to the order of uh, Sirhan, Sirhan, blank, 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 meaning he was repeating what he had been conditioned to believe under some form of mind control or hypnosis. He also passed the lie detector test uh, that he did not have any recollection of, Killing RFK. Also, we know that the door that had multiple bullets in, more than what was in Saran's gun, all the bullets have been accounted for who he shot, Roosevelt Greer, uh, into the wall, into the ceiling. But that door disappeared from Los Angeles Police Department's uh, custody. In fact, almost all the evidence that could have shown that there was more than one shooter in the kitchen in the pantry, uh, all that disappeared. Now, in the normal case uh, of events, that wouldn't be the case. You would have your evidence, your forensic evidence, and you present it. And uh, so we have have what could be a uh, black op operation uh, by those who didn't like Kennedy's. And by the way, JFK, or uh, not JFK, Jager Hoover hated the Kennedy's because uh, Robert Kennedy did not like how Hoover had been handling the FBI, as his own private agency. And uh, so there was a lot of blame going around after the fiasco of the invasion of Cuba and the Bay Bay of Pigs, and also Curtis Curtis LeMay and others who were on the Joint Chiefs of Staff uh, and who supported the killing of Castro— but nobody wanted to take blame for the fiasco. And so Kennedy was going to eviscerate the CIA. He had plans on doing that. And so his assassination stopped him, and his brother was stopped. And we do not know the full truth of anything as of today. That's why I believe that we should, at the very least, look at the evidence that you are reporting on, the fact that you have a very tough Executive Committee or Board of Directors, and I'm sure that you had very contentious arguments about allowing this article uh, to go forward, and uh, because a lot of people are going to attack your organization, and you personally, for putting forth information, no matter how much documentation you have, um, they're going to say you don't prove anything how do you respond to that and did you have any arguments about publishing this article
1: uh not this particular article um now yeah i, I think in this case there are a lot of you know there's really strong evidence i mean that uh, you know uh, things are not uh, as they say i mean just the, the fact that the uh, as we've been discussing i mean just the very fact that there's very strong evidence of a murder, that this was not a mass suicide. And that's the story. You know, you continuously have these films, uh, and some of them are very entertaining to watch. You know, there's new TV specials and films I've seen in recent years, and new books came out. And they almost always, you know, promote the official narrative about a suicide. But the evidence is, is incredibly strong, just like, as you were saying, the Kennedy assassination it's overwhelming that Sirhan Sirhan was not, you know, was not the the shooter, the lone gunman. I mean, Kennedy was shot in the back; Sirhan was shooting from the front. And yeah, there were many bullets found at the scene there. So I think, yeah, we have a similar case where anybody who looks into this uh, seriously you know finds that the official story doesn't hold water and then there's so many layers yeah i mean our magazine is devoted to exposing the history of the cia and of course you know you're dealing with a since you're dealing with a secretive agency uh, you know, it, you know, the smoking gun proof is not always there, but you have to you know piece things together. And that's you know partially our job uh, is to do that. In this case, yeah, I mean, there's so much strong evidence for Joan's background in the CIA, and you know including his connection with, with Dan Mitrione and his involvement in Brazil, and Guyana at time, the times of these CIA uh, operations, uh, so I, I think that's very very strong evidence. And then, yeah, there, again, there's so much evidence uh, that makes I think anybody suspicious who has an open mind about this, including all those drugs. You know, how do you account for all those drugs that were found uh, that were the kind of drugs you associate with with MK Ultra uh, and, and the witnesses who say they look like robots? And then there's the role. Of the um, you know the Layton family, which we haven't got into yet, but uh, they seem to be you know the, the key family behind this. And uh, Lawrence Layton uh, had a history of involvement. You know they're providing a lot of the financing, uh, and the whole family is connected because Debbie Debbie somehow got out with the younger daughter. Uh, she like got out a, a few weeks before. And, you know, she then later went on this book tour and was promoting uh, stories about Jonestown, uh, although it believed, yeah, it's believed maybe she was in on the whole operation and that she took some of the money for herself because they had amassed a huge amount of money. But, yeah, the father, the patriarch, Lawrence Leighton, again, was involved with the MK Ultra and, and uh, chemical and biological uh, warfare experiments. Uh, and he was uh, again, financing, uh, this operation intrinsically connected to it. And then his son, uh, Larry was the one who was fingered for the death of Leo Ryan. So, so yeah, that family is, uh, I think very important to look at and, and uh, you know, making the larger connection. Uh, the family is very vital. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, this article that I did doesn't answer all the questions, but it does raise a lot of question and presents evidence, some of which was already published. You know, there's an excellent book by, I think it was a thesis. I don't know if it was ever published, but if viewers and listeners are interested in doing more research, I would really, in looking into this, recommend the, uh, again, I think it's a thesis, but I think it's available online by Michael Myers, was Jonestown, A Religious Experiment. And he, I think, studied this for years. And, you know, he really presented a lot of good research and insights that I was able to draw upon. And he actually, uh, he focuses a lot on the Leighton family, and he views this as part of the kind of the Nazification of America, because um, Lisa Leighton, Lawrence Leighton's uh, wife, who is a supporter of Jonestown uh, and involved behind the scenes, uh, she came from a Nazi family. She escaped from um, Nazi Germany. Actually, the cover story was that she was Jewish, and they were Jews who escaped, but actually uh, Myers found that her family were Nazis, and she was very young at the time, but she may have even imbued the Nazi ideology of her uh, parents. So uh, that's the way Myers presents this, is like an extension of Operation Paperclip, and that these, uh, you know, MK Ultra uh, was kind of like a Nazi, type uh, thing, where they're experimenting on, on humans, uh, carrying out illegal a, a and unethical okay. medical experiments, and that's something the Nazis were infamous for. So, yeah, it's really a dark underbelly of, of U.S. society and government. And the other oh, dimension we, is that uh, they're trying to discredit the, the 60s movements because they really played up how Jones was this figure out of the 60s and this progressive figure who was anti-war and bringing the races together and then, you know, that he emerges as this kind of evil cult leader is another way to, I think, discredit the 60s movements that they're, they're all just kind of quacks following, you know, these false messiahs.
0: Okay, but Jeremy, let's, we have to be very fair here also that until such time that the wife, daughter, associated are charged, then you must say that uh, it is suspected or it's your belief because otherwise um, they're innocent until proven guilty, and we must give them that absolute benefit of a doubt. More importantly for me is no one seems in the mainstream media today, including all the 51 top intelligence agency executives, including the heads of the CIA and the National Security Agency, etc., they denied that anything in Hunter Biden's laptop was legitimate. It was all Russian. Now, they have been found to be wrong. All the media were found to be wrong. Rachel Maddow and all the programs they did, all their guests were all wrong. The entire media was wrong. Now, now we know that the laptop is real, and therefore what's in it, which could indict the the sitting President of the United States and others, could also be real. And yet, They didn't look objectively for the truth. They started off saying that anyone who even suggested that that laptop was real was a conspiracy theorist. Now, at the same time that that's happening, and that's going to unfold with hearings coming up in January and thereafter, and we'll know the truth once people are placed under oath and and that they are necessitated to go before the committee. You have not seen any of these people before any committee because... The Democrats controlled the House and therefore could control the committees and, and what they chose to bring forth in a public arena under oath. And none of these people have been questioned. But more importantly to me is we are not the, the mainstream media and the government has not asked a basic question. If the Wuhan virus was created, as we believe now, and the evidence is rather strongly supportive, at the Wuhan Laboratory for Virology in Wuhan, China, and we have proof of that because we actually have papers published by the uh, Communist Party's (coughs) defense agency showing that it was being weaponized, had dual purpose, but weaponization was also part of that, and it's in writing. I mean, that document exists, but so too does the fact that Anthony Fauci and organizations he has funded funded gain-of-function research. No one's asking, why did we do gain-of-function research? At all? What was its purpose? And where else were we doing this? Oh, and by the way, Gloria Newland showed that we were doing it in, of all places in this world, in Ukraine. At least 23 labs that have been identified doing very serious and dangerous research. Why did we need any of this? What about all the research done at Fort Detrick that we were not made aware of since we signed biological uh, treaty showing that we, along with all the other signatories, cannot create any form of biological weapon. Well, gain-of-function research makes it a biological weapon, and yet everyone's denying that, and no one's asking any questions. No one's asking to do congressional hearings and bring in every scientist, every applicant that received money. And we have a paper trail. We have all the money, how much was given to each group, the University of North Carolina, uh, the uh, Toronto University, Etc., and until these people, the actual scientists who did the work, who received the money, until they say, why did we do this gain-of-function research, what was its purpose, uh, then we will not know the full story. But the fact that everyone denied this was important the media today. And now we find out, and this is important as well, that Facebook was meeting regularly with the CIA, and whatever the CIA and the uh, and also, the uh, and uh, Zuckerberg acknowledged this. This is a matter of public knowledge. And who to ban who should not be allowed to have a forum, whose articles should not be published. And also, we now know that this was the case at Twitter. We have thousands and thousands of these emails uh, that that uh, are being deciphered by Matt Taibbi. Now, mind you, is it not true that Matt Taibbi was one of the darlings of the liberal press for a long time until he did this? Now they're all attacking him. Every one of them is attacking him, like kill the messenger. And he's not editorializing. He's simply saying, here's what this person high up on Twitter said to justify banning this person, banning that person, banning, uh, not deplatforming these people. Now, it's okay Twitter can do whatever it wants. It can, it can deny you your place on there and deny your freedom of speech. But the federal government, it's a crime. It's against the law for the federal government to work with a private company like Twitter or Facebook or Google or Wikipedia to deny you your freedom of speech and to plant their own messages instead. So now you have hundreds upon hundreds of new disinformation agencies and bureaus, and almost every single one of these is controlled by Bill Gates uh, or someone else who is known for giving misinformation. And so the people like yourself and your organization, you come out with an article that should make headlines Was Jonestown Massacre uh, really not suicide, but murder? Who murdered them? What was their motive? Uh, what happened to Jim Jones? who was complicit, what evidence is there, and would this withstand uh, double uh, cross-examination in a court of law? No one's asking this. Even if they said it couldn't have happened this way, go public on it. Debate you, Jeremy. Let them have you and your experts on and share your evidence with them saying none of this could have happened. Now that you can bring in, uh, with a more open house, you can bring in experts You could subpoena the CIA and the people at that time who are still alive or documents that they have to show the evidence one way or the other and then let the public make up its mind. None of this is being done because today it is the government who is the primary uh, sponsor of disinformation and misinformation. Everything on COVID is disinformation, but they don't want the truth to come out. I want to share that with you before we close because that is the same environment today, even more so than what we had at the time of Jonestown.
1: Yeah, I think that was really well uh, brilliant how you phrased it. And I think you're right on the mark, unfortunately. And uh, yeah, I mean, I found that in higher education, there's no effort to investigate this stuff. Uh, you know, the dark uh, history of the CIA. And yeah, absolutely. I would welcome uh, you know debating somebody or uh, if, if yeah I think a key would be to try to you know declassify more documents about this uh could shed more light and, and could uh, help answer some of the unanswered questions now yeah, a lot of the people involved have passed on, but uh there's still some people who are alive and actually yeah, one of leo I think the article ends with a quote from one of Leo Ryan's aides uh, William uh, the son of him, and he said, you know. Uh, it, you know, it's gonna. Uh, well, he said, yeah, whether well, there was some broader conspiracy and what might have consisted of are matters I've determined to leave to future generations. This is even the son of the age. You know, it's, it was so hot then, and it's still hot 30 years later. And yeah, there's you know vested interests who are I think intent on uh, blocking the truth from coming out. But I think we we should still try. And uh, whether it's this or, yeah, one the more recent cover-ups, uh, you know, like with the COVID, uh, it, it's up to independent citizens and, and journalists like us to try and get at the truth. Uh, so
0: I agree. Well, Jeremy, thank you very much for being with us. My guest, Jeremy, let me spell his name, K-U-Z-M-A-R-O-V. He is the managing editor of Covert Action Magazine. it has been around for 40 years and the, the book is Obama's Unending Wars. That's a different book published by uh, them. And it's covertactionmagazine.com, covertactionmagazine.com. Thank you, Jeremy, and thank all of you for listening to today's Progressive Commentary Hour.